This recording was made on Arunda country in Alice Springs, Northern Territory. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. G'day friends. G'day mates. Mates, it's always weird to say g'day mates, plural. That feels like something that I don't know, an American would do who doesn't quite know how to use the word mate because it doesn't sound right when you pluralize it and you say g'day mates. Hey, yeah, g'day mates. It just sounds weird. Like I think I've heard Kelly Slater say that once and I was like, nah, dude, you guys say buddies. Just stick to buddies. That's fine. That's your one. Mates is our one. Anyway, g'day mates. How you going? All right. Are you good? That's another weird thing that Australians do actually come to think of it. Me and Frizy, my friend Frizy, talk about this all the time about how Australians answer their own questions of the people that they're asking them whilst we ask them. How's the missus? Is she well? Oh, how's your old man doing? Is he good? It's just like this weird thing. It's almost, I don't, I don't think it's rude. I think we just want a positive answer, but it kind of is a little bit rude because we don't really leave much room for a negative answer. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. Thank you for hitting play on this podcast. I hope you're excited. I hope you're rubbing your hands together with glee at the following conversation you're about to listen to, because you should. The following chat is with Raylene Brown. I've just been in Alice Springs. That's where Raylene lives. And Raylene has spent her entire life and professional career pioneering wild harvesting of native bush foods here in Australia with indigenous conservation techniques. And that particular topic is of immense interest to me because basically the more I think about it, in Australia we've got these two huge problems, right? The first one is climate change and that's a huge problem for the entire world. The second problem, which is exclusive to Australia, and I guess kind of there's other countries that have very similar problems, we have this enormous cultural divide between First Nations, Aboriginal and colonial Australia. It goes without saying that there is such a long way to go towards genuine reconciliation of the atrocities committed of the past. But the more I think about it, these two problems, it's almost like we might be able to have a real crack at solving both of them with one solution, which is genuine respect for Indigenous conservation and not just out of the need to reconcile the genocidal horrors of our past, but to basically give ourselves as Australians insurance against the future by having this land of abundance sustaining us as it was supposed to and as it has done for tens of thousands of years. Guys, I read this book by Bruce Pascoe called Dark Emu and I really recommend a read and it'll basically reveal exactly why I've been so preoccupied with this thought. The whole book is about how the hunter-gatherer tag attached to Indigenous peoples of Australia was inappropriate because they weren't hunter-gatherers. They had massive civilizations of thousands of people in permanent settlements with very productive agriculture and that's something that we don't just need to revisit. I think that we need to revisit and adopt what in a very widespread and very urgent manner. Because doesn't it make sense to be sustaining ourselves with native species, both flora and fauna, 
that were supposed to be here and are contributing to a productive and biodiverse ecosystem. It makes more sense to me to do that rather than rely on the non-native species of plants and animals that we've introduced here and are not adapted to the Australian climate, which is becoming more extreme by the day. Whether it's droughts or bushfire or soil degradation or changing coastlines, pick whatever the problem is with climate change, the introduced species here are not designed to deal with it. And there's plenty of edible species here that are. And those are the species that Raylene is an absolute expert in. So, that's why it was such a treat for me to talk to her. And this is why I call myself Lucky Roland, guys, is because these conversations are literally like I just get to sit down with a private tutor who teaches me one-on-one, -on -one, a classroom of one for a whole hour about things that I'm really curious about. And these people are all experts. Raylene Brown is absolutely no exception. Raylene has Nyongwamir and Eastern Arunda heritage. She lives in Alice Springs and she runs a business, among other things, among many other social enterprises, improving the lives of Indigenous people in that community. Raylene runs Kungas Can Cook, which Kungas in, I think it's in the Arunda tongue, but I'm not sure, but I know it means girls. And Kungus Can Cook celebrates native foods harvested in traditional ways by First Nations people. We had such a positive exchange, Raylene and I. She is just this bubbling ball of warm and gentle, positive energy. And I left the conversation feeling so optimistic because I'm, look, to be quite honest with you guys, I'm a hopeless romantic about these things. Everything about the level of mindfulness in Aboriginal culture appeals to me. And in that, it seems to me like we're knocking on the door with our modern 2020 culture closer than ever before to actually achieving a reconciliation because we're running after all of these things that we glorify with our yoga mats and our whole foods shops, whether it's sustainability, whether it's sharing, whether it's mindfulness or whether it's joint consciousness, pick whatever progressive element of contemporary society that we glorify on Instagram and the chances are it is epitomized in indigenous culture. So it feels like we're going to get there. And and Raylene left me feeling very inspired about that. So I hope she wields her magic in a similar way with you. It starts to get overwhelming mm. and you start to feel like, oh, what can we do? We can all do something, though. Definitely. Little things turn into big things. And that's how I feel, you know, like, and um, and we've got to sometimes look look back um, to, to get things to bring into the future so we've, we've sped up so quickly um, even with technology and all that but there's lots of things practical things that I look at especially in the indigenous space like in, in indigenous foods and the way that we treated our environment looking back to learn lessons that we can bring into the future and do things better than what we did it we did we went so fast that we just we started wiping out a lot of knowledge mm. and, and wiping out a, a lot of, um, and, and not taking any notice of thousands of years of history in this land of land management. Um, and it's such, there's such value in what was happening here pre, you know, colonisation. It's priceless at this point in time, like with the yeah. climate emergency. It is. Yeah. And 
we, you know, even us in this small town, our re small regional town that we live in, we've been affected by um, environmental changes. Although we got lots of fresh air, we don't have any pollution, but on the ground, um, the introduction of um, native, uh, not you know, species of grasses that invasive species, oh, man. Yep, mm. that have come in. Um, and taken over the land, like we've got um, the buffalo grass, which has um, had a major impact on um, our native grasses and um, like bush foods that people used to talk about. Like to me, my mum when she was growing up and all my old aunties said that along the Todd River here, you'd be able to find like yelkers, which are like bush onions and that, which are like little yeah. sedges, like little chestnut that you'd be able to dig up and you'd pull them up and then you'd roast them on the fire and they were like a little brown top of oniony thing. Yum. And so, yeah. The size of a chestnut? Oh, no, 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 they're like little tiny little ones, about that big, like little... Like little. And you just eat them whole? Yeah, you just eat them whole and they're really Yum. delicious and yeah, okay. nutty and um, fibrous and probably would have been a great little treat for people. But because of all... And even... It's even um, threatening our, our beautiful river gums because when we... The fires used to come through before because the native grasses are really light and beautiful light. They didn't have a really deep, um, hard root, root stock sort of thing. Right. The buffalo, you can't dig it up. You need to picks to get it out, you know. Really? It's really dense. And so when it burns, it's like a big rock boulder and so if that's simmering right near the root of a um, gum tree oh so it's going to expose the roots to the yeah fire and, for a and if, if, if they're growing they're growing all around the gum tree so you know when the firefighters come you know it's really hard to put the fire out and it, it keeps burning for a long 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 time wow whereas when the fires used to come through in the past it'd be a light quick fire shower yeah like a little it wouldn't be the, the impact wouldn't be so high and mm. it wouldn't it wouldn't burn these trees down you know so um so that that has been because our industry in the central desert region is a lot of um mining and and pastoral properties yeah so that um that's impacted major um on our even on our bush foods because where the ladies harvest out on country when you're driving along the dirt road, on one side of the road you can see where the spinifex is all growing, which is a native, you know, the spinifex. Mm. And on the other side, you can see that the buffalo or the Mitchell grass starting to come in. Really? So... And that's the divide of where yeah, they've either been yeah, mining or grazing. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, you can see it. They, everybody in the bush can, can see the movement of the grass every year growing and... And, you know, and advancing in. towards the yeah, native grass, yeah, yeah. grasses. And into, further oh, into wow. the desert country, you know. So it's, it's something that you can see visually, you know. People are noticing visually. So, and pe women used to do a lot of, um, with the men, alongside of the men, they'd be doing like um, control burning mm. every year, but mainly in the winter. And um, when there wasn't much wind around, they'd do a control burn. And so that would then um, encourage growth of the bush foods as well, like the, um, the bush tomato or the acajita. Mm -hmm. um, so it needs fire to regenerate, but not high impact or high level fires. Yeah, this is why I'm so fascinated to hear you say this because that's always um, 
frustrated me a little bit, particularly after the bushfire season that we've just had on the East Coast, yeah. where you've got sort of typically right-wing climate denial types saying, you know, bushfire's always been a part of the Australian landscape. Yeah. And I'm looking at it going, like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't fire like this, guys. No. I'm pretty sure it wasn't millions of hectares raging inferno. So it's interesting no. to hear you talk about light fire and light fire yeah. yeah fire is a good part fire is a good thing and yeah, it's not the same yeah and there's an amazing book that was written by a local botanist and he it's just it's a journal like it's a book of identifying our native foods and our medicines right and all the different language groups and what they how they used it but the book is called um, and you can actually buy the book here at the there's a bookshop just right here at IAD it was published by IAD Press. It's called Bushfires and Bush Tucker. And it talks about um, whether that plant was, um, is affected by fire or not. It, it's tolerant to fire or not tolerant to fire. Um, whether it needs fire to grow. Mm. Um, so fire in a way, indigenous people use fire to manage the land. Mm. And it was um, low impact. Um, and it was, um, it was also a way of um, uh, gathering food as well. Like sometimes you'd, do a, you'd, you'd talk about where do we want this fire to go to? We right. only want to burn this far and we want to just capture this area. Um, and it could, be, it could have been around the growth of um, the Akajita plant or it could have been that women were out with, some young, with the men and, that, and they wanted to do some hunting. So they'd burn a little piece of land just to get the little reptiles to come into one place and they'd catch them. Wow. So, but it wouldn't be to damage the land. And they, yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't be a part of a massive burn-off. Like, you know, they wouldn't want right. that. Um, so as people walk through land, they'd know what part had been burnt, whose land it was, who was... Because um, each person, when you go out on country and you're talking about managing country, you would be with somebody that would be responsible for the management of that land. So the land manager, you mm. know. Um, and then with that person, you might have some people there that are, um, their totem is uh, that bush food plant. Because so you've come along with the person that takes up, looks after the land to say, you know, we want to burn this little bit of land because we need to, because we need to, in a few months time after the rains come, we want to be able to be harvesting a kajita mm. off this land. Mm. So there's, we were doing land management. And, and there's a seed bank in the soil just ready yeah, for the Yeah, ready fire, to because they're annuals and they knew that. Ah. So they grow down at, and it helps to, um, the smoke um, gets the seed going and it's like a little fertiliser thing. Yeah. And these are like arid, arid fruits. They just grow with the fire then a little bit of rain and they just um, have, take advantage of whatever they can get to get going again to regenerate because they're so these plants are so so used to living in this harsh environment where you have to take advantage of your good times you know yes. and you'll lie dormant in your bad times you know so if you've got drought you know those plants will come back back up again in a, in a with a bit of a shower you know to come back again so it it's wonderful to see that life cycle of those plants and to understand that life cycle. And Indigenous people so intricately understand their life cycle and what needs to be happening and 
they talk about all of our um, seasons, you know, the seasons that we have. And it's just like, it's not like in Whitefellow Way they've got four seasons. Mm. There's lots of seasons. Mm. And they look around. I'm sure they overlap as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, they're indicators, like when a flower is blooming or when you see a certain species around a bird yeah. or whatever. Or, um, oh, so romantic. Like, it for is. me, as someone who's only been educated in a traditional sort of Anglo mm. way of mm. summer, autumn, winter, spring. Yeah. It's like it, it feels so disconnected when you yeah. compare it to what you're saying. Yeah, and the, and the storylines that go across those lands with those people that own those totems, you know, you know when um, these little birds come in because we've had the rain. Sometimes the little budgerigars that, that are all around the desert country, they're the most beautiful little... Cutest little They're things. the beautiful little bird, but we know that you won't see them around when we haven't had a lot of rain, you know. They, but when the rain goes into the desert country and the river, all the water floods out into the Simpsons Desert or into that, um, the basin, you know, the Lake Eyre Basin. There's a lot of our water goes into that basin. And you see the budgerigars and you see them swarming like a beautiful... Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and there's a big story about that, you know, and people have, um, you know, that's their totem. It's the Natajiri that a lot of people talk about in the, in, out in um, the Walpuri people in the Western Desert region talk about the Natajiri. And so there's a whole clan group of Natajiris, you know, Natajiri people that know about that little story where that budgerigar flies over country. And we don't have like the barriers like the state lines. A lot of those stories go over those lines because people yeah. were interacting in the desert, you know, and... Um, and sharing, right? And sharing and talking and singing and... So that's the real, the part that I'm involved in a lot is with the women who do the harvesting and um, really trying to bring their story forward in this industry. It's a, a fast, a really fast growing industry. Mm. People have taken a keen interest because now it's starting to generate a lot of money with value added products. Mm. And so we're in the value chain and the women are in the value chain, but they're at the bottom where they're, they're, they're part of that supply chain. They were relied upon a fair bit in the start of this because they were the ones that had the knowledge about the edible seeds. Yeah, right. So what happens is some of the non-Indigenous people have come along and they've taken the seeds and now they're growing them in other parts of Australia. These are desert plants to me and we should be just leaving them to grow where they grow mm. and help Indigenous people to be... a to help to build their capability around doing not so much growing plants in lines like traditional agriculture, but more or less letting those plants um, have the ability to be strong in their own environment so they don't need to be watered, um, they don't need to be fertilised. Yeah. They've had thousands of years to learn to be a strong plant in that soil condition. When we take something away from where it naturally grows, that's when we have to interfere with the... Um, the plant and, and the stuff you're putting on it, yeah. And, and the conditions, and, it, and, and that then that then damages um, our environment, and it also changes the plant. Yeah, I'm sure that makes an inferior um, yeah. edible fruit at the yeah. end of the day. Like, yeah, to me, the most strongest nutritious plants are the ones that have been standing in their lands for thousands of years and develop and, and growing the strength to have this beautiful um, interconnection with indigenous people mm. that sing the song for the seed that grows on that plant, that sings the song for the way that you, you harvest it, the way you grind it and process it. And there's little peop little young ones there learning visually and, and listening. Mm. 
We've nothing is written down in books. We couldn't carry a library of books around with us in the desert, you know. People had to start learning when they were really young and you'd learn the sort of the children's um, version and then as you got older you got more and more responsibility and you'd learn the grown-up songs about that plant, you know. Then that would be your sole responsibility to be, to be singing the song to identify that plant, to know where it grows um, and to know when, it, when the seeds are coming and how to harvest it. And that how level to... of connection is so absent it in, is. in modern agriculture. And it it's is. It's so ironic. Like when you put it the way you have in those terms, you've just made me think about, I came up here from South Australia and I visited some really nice um, vineyards in mm. McLaren Vale in particular. Mm. And it strikes me that like we have so much crazy amount of pride in all oh, this vine is 130 years old <laughs> and it's like but we can't appreciate the plants that are thousands of years oh, old I know, and I know. are actually giving us nutrition not just booze and yeah. it's like yeah. it's so weird that at the same time as that where you're talking about um, indigenous women on country who are responsible for propagating taking care, taking care yeah. of this stuff being at the bottom of this um, sort of commercial food chain, yeah, if you like, yeah. compared to how much we glorify farmers in Australia yeah. who are grazing cattle or yeah. growing invasive or non-native yeah. species. Yeah. And they're sort of, I mean, I've never been a farmer, but from everything you see in the media, it's like what they say goes because they're the ones out there, they're connected yeah. to the and product. Then, and, and it is all pushed by consumerism because we're, we're in that space now where, you know, um, you know, everyone says, you know, you need to learn about... Um, you know, appreciate the farming, and we do because you know what we're all so reliant on it. We re and we actually rely on the, the the corporates to feed us. They own they own the farm, they mm. own the shop. It's all controlled, mm. and um, there is a push though. I'm starting to notice, you know, like these farmers markets that are popping up in the cities now, yeah. where people are doing organic farming. They're they're travelling with their produce into the cities and going. We farm in a different way. We are trying to be low impact, um, not using pesticides. And people in the city are starting to realise that we don't, we don't just have to be getting our food from these, you know, just from coals or Monopoly. Yeah. Um, and people are starting to really want to learn more. And I think this is where technology can come in and be a great effect on how we think and what we do. Um, and so for me, being in this space, being in this food space, bringing this story up to a higher level, you know, and that's why um, we as Indigenous people, there was a um, Australian Native Food Board, right, which was started about 15 years ago, but on the board um, there were mainly um, people that were at the top of the value chain, people that were producing value-added products, but they didn't know anything about where some of these products were coming from mm. and that this was actually being harvested by hand. There was no machinery um, and that this beautiful story about the food that was coming and I said the biggest, the biggest part of this is that story about that food which is totally being missed in this. And it's the biggest um, way that we could help to support Aboriginal people is by not doing massive farming projects but by doing smaller type homeland farming projects where people aren't having a high impact, mm. they're sustainable harvesting, they're not taking every single seed off that plant. Like with farming, with farming, you you grow things in lines and you take everything that you can take and then you yeah. plant back seeds again. This is more of a way of 
um, when the women do the harvesting, they don't take all the seeds. They do sustainable harvesting because they know that some of those seeds have got to drop back on the ground again mm. to grow more trees. Mm. And also, we share that with other animals. So the birds eat those seeds and also the birds eat the bush tomatoes as well. And there's also a little, but a little caterpillar that eats a bush tomato. So we don't want to take all the fruit away. Mm. We have to leave some things behind. The ladies do that. It's so lovely the way that they do it. It's, it's really have a lots of thought. The, so it's many. so layered, many layers of yeah. knowledge. And um, it's just, to me, such a wonderful thing that needs to be acknowledged and needs to be, I don't know. I know that a lot of people have been out and we've done stories about things, but it needs to be a part of our, our story about how this land was being farmed in a different way. Mm and um, that we could learn some lessons from that. Oh, absolutely. That's always been such a distressing um, thing that I think about in terms of the cultural divide between Indigenous and colonial Australia mm. is that you look at the impact of colonialism and how it's brought these environments to the brink of destruction extinction. And, and extinction. extinction. Right. And extinction. We were, we're losing our reptiles, birds, Everything. bugs, um, everything and it's it's hard for indigenous people to um to even they've been disconnected from their own stories and their own plants because um we're so lucky in the desert you know that we've had this continuous um this continuous knowledge being passed down through generation to generation because we you know we haven't had that high impact urbanization yeah which has been really wonderful um and then you hear when I go and speak with other Indigenous people in the cities, you know, they just feel so um, lost. And they said, you know, where do we find information about what our people were eating, you know? I said, you know what, you actually might have to go back to some journals that were um, written by the settlers um, to find out because you've been so disconnected from your own food that you you might be able to find it in yeah. journals and, and, and you might be able to see some people... In the old days, people were sketching and observing and writing things down. And um, so that's where you might find it, in, in libraries or even in herbariums that are in the city. But they said, sometimes we can't even get access to those herbariums, you know. We can't go in there. We can't just have yeah. access. Yeah, because I was just speaking to a friend of mine in the city and she said, no, we can't just walk in there and ask. You've got to go through this and that and that. And I said, yeah, it's so sad. I said, you know, um, but with more, we've, we've started our alliance now, our Indigenous Bush Food and Bush Medicines Alliance, which is an Indigenous-led alliance. Cool. And we're trying to take back some of what's been lost mm. um, and also acknowledging and respecting um, Indigenous knowledges and their intellectual property and their intellectual, their intellectual knowledge, um, and so that when um, scientists or people in agriculture are um, wanting to work in this space, that they actually recognise the custodians of those plants um, first and foremost, and have a chance to participate in in a way that's culturally appropriate, um, and how people want to develop their own um, farming areas or spaces um, the way that they want to do it, you know, mm. to bring back a more natural 
ethically or environmentally more safe way to do things. Um, so, and I, I encourage Indigenous people, if they do want to look at harvesting their wattle seeds, if they're in an urban area, that they should look back and find out what wattle trees were growing in your region, you know. Try not to have a high impact on our environment by planting other plants that mightn't even survive because um, people don't know what wattles were growing there or what edible wattles they were, so they're looking to the desert mm. to grab the trees out of the desert. And I said, you know, some of those trees, they mightn't want to live in that um, high rainfall area or be fed any kind of fertilisers and things. Yeah, so, and they might interfere with the opportunity for the ones that are supposed to be there yeah, to actually Yeah, so do, yeah, do your research. Mm. Really look hard. That's so sad if, like, yeah, it, that you have to, these people have to look hard, that yeah. the information is so scarce. It is so scarce on the ground. Mm. And we're, that's why I feel we're so so privileged to be working with these women. I call them like the professors of the desert, these ladies and the mm. men, you know. they Love have. That. It's just so wonderful yeah. that the way that they talk about their plants and the way that they respect it and the way that they, they sing songs about it is so important. And um, the way that my nana says, you know, like, we, we take, but we, what we take, we put back into you know, we give back into the environment and then it, when we're standing on country, it gives us energy and regenerates us and makes us strong, you know. So we have to be in that circle. We have to be interconnected with plants, with animals, with our seasons, with our songs. It's such a beautiful interconnection and we have to be living in that space. We are only here for a short time mm. and in that time, we have to make sure that we keep this whole circle of life going, you know? Mm. And that's why it's important for you to know what your totem is, what you have to do, and how to sing that song. And it's so sad, though, that a lot of our Aboriginal people are being disconnected from that. And that's why a lot of our old people are saying, you know, they're worried about the next younger, younger people. They're saying, you know, they're getting drawn into the urban life because... Um, it it's, hasn't got that... Um, we don't have to be surviving off these plants anymore, so... Because the monopoly shops are there. Mm, but it, it's like, for me, this industry could actually, as it grows, could actually help Aboriginal people to, stick, oh, yeah. to keep being connected and getting our younger people interested in that space. Um, and to do... Similar to my friends over in... Um, on the West Coast, like over in Broome, they didn't want to grow their trees in, in lines, you know, mm. the kakadu plum and the gubbage. They said, we want to do enrichment planting, so we want to gather the seeds off country, help to get the young people involved in propagating them with soils and stuff to get them going, and then plant, grow them up a little bit in a, where we're looking after those trees for a little while, planting them out and getting them strong in that environment so we don't have to be irrigating. Mm. We don't have to be uh, putting um, fertilisers in that because it all, that seed came from that country, but we want to do enrichment planting. Yeah, right. So people can be lifting, because people were expecting them to lift the yields. They wanted them to harvest more, but they said, but we don't want to have to take water out of the, pump water out of the ground and do all that. We want them plants to grow in that, in our area. Without inputs kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's ways that that can happen. 
that's where I feel the opportunity lies because that's the name of the game of future sustainability is the less inputs mm. that this thing that's going to sustain us yeah. is reliant upon, the more sustainable it's going to be, like the less we need to mess with it. Yeah. And so it's like, it makes me feel like we're so close to connecting these dots yeah. with uh, returning to these Indigenous food management and conservation techniques. But that's sort of where this distress I'm talking about comes from, is that I, as the environmentalist in me hates the environmental destruction that, mm. uh, that the colonialism has, has produced, but it's also come at the same time as this un, unspoken genocide and these crazily mm. diluted, um, you know, inhumane yeah. history of colonial Australia. Yeah. And now we're at this junction where we have to then turn around to the communities that have been so marginalised since 1788 and say, oh, um, we're really sorry about everything. Can you tell us all your secrets, please? And it's like, we, th those people haven't really been motivated to share the knowledge. No, no, but, not really. But, but it's but like we're all relying on it now I and know. it terrifies me. It does and it, it is something that I think can be really a, a great way for other Australians to understand and help to do, help with reconciliation as well because to make people um, understand our relationship with, our, with the land and it's our mother, you know, we, we need her, you know, and we need to respect her. And so we have to give to her in order for her to give to us. Mm. And if we keep taking too much too fast and not respecting and not watching it and not taking care of it, then she can't keep doing what she does. She can't keep giving us what we need if we don't turn around and respect it. And so at the moment, like you said, we're knocking down trees faster than we can grow trees. Mm -hmm. We're damaging, um, and the fires that are going through, like you said, it was just so heartbreaking to watch what happened last year. And it, it, and the funny thing is that it's happening right across the world at the same time. Yeah. The Amazon was burning. California. Australia was burning. California was burning. Siberia. And yet people are still in denial. You mm. know, what is happening? We're heating up. We won't be able to live in some of these environments soon. You know, we... We're talking about that now with our local land councils about the old people are saying, you know, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter out here. But sometimes it's not the things that we're doing out here. It's what's happening on our coastal areas. Yeah. The trees are being knocked down, you know, at a rapid pace. It's affecting our whole environment. Not only that, further reaching is our Pacific nations. It's affecting our Pacific nations. So it's a big, big story. And... Um, Indigenous people are noticing mm. the impact that the, of, you know, the, of us knocking things down. And they said, we can't really notice it around us, but we feel like it's further, you know, it's further out. So I don't know, I really, but I think for me, whatever we can do, like having these conversations with people like yourself, reaching out to um, building our alliance, and our Native Foods Alliance, reaching out to our, our ministers in the environment, um, environmental ministers, our, um, our indigenous ministers. Mm. You know, that's where we want to do help to change the policy, to get people to think differently, speak to the agricultural people, agri agricultural futures people. We have the opportunity to come to the table with those people and hopefully get them to listen mm. to us. And that's why we need to 
you know, have this alliance so we can reach to those people that are making those decisions. Definitely. So that we can have an Indigenous person at the table so that when I'm listening to somebody sitting on country in the desert talking to me, that then I can reflect that to my board mm -hmm. and from the board we can write up, you know, how we can change policies and laws around protecting Aboriginal people's ways and how we can learn about doing better farming. Mm. It, the opportunity is there. Yeah. I love this thing that you've said about um, about the professors of the desert, yeah. these women on country. <laughs> I love the mental image that that's just conjured because there's no more definitive signature of authority in Western culture than a white coat. Yeah. And like that's sort of all I'm thinking yeah, about is a bunch of old ladies on country <laughs> harvesting in white coats. And I'm sure it's not like that, but yeah. and it's almost like that's... That, that just puts it into perspective so it perfectly does. that that level of expertise needs to be respected and needs to be incorporated into decision making in yeah, a way it that does. they've got to be at the table yeah, yeah they've got to be at the table and um and and even our ways people need to open their ears and open their eyes and see what is actually around you know because even when i'm talking to groups that are coming in to alice springs sometimes i have opportunity to speak to tourists that come here they, a lot of people that I speak to do the, they do the walk. They want to just turn off their phones. They just want to connect with the environment, connect with this desert country. And um, when we sit down at the, after they've walked for a whole day from one of our sites at Telegraph Station into the first campsite and I meet them that night and, um, and I say to them, you're going to be walking quietly on country for the next six days take it in and think about how Aboriginal people would have been walking on this land, you know, in this desert. And I know you, from what you're thinking, oh gee, I wouldn't survive out here. I wouldn't know where to find water. I wouldn't know mm. where to look for food. And just imagine having all that knowledge to survive and to be very confident with that, to know exactly where to find water, to know exactly what to eat, to know exactly where to be in this in, this, in the desert, where would you need to be at this time of the season? Mm. And those paths, those well-trodden paths that would have been walked on for many thousands of years, over and over again. Um, and to be able to identify food, and uh, at that campsite in particular where I go, there's, um, there's some trees around and they don't look too like they're food trees at all. You know, they look a bit scrawny and they look, you know, there's nothing on them. Um, because I say to them, you know, at the moment, we're, we're here in the, in the winter, so these wattle seed trees don't start to seed up until summer. Mm. In the middle of the hottest time of the year, these trees will pr produce a whole stack of seeds that the birds will take advantage of, people, our Aboriginal people will be harvesting them. And, um, and you know, I'll say to them, you know, one particular tree, there's a, it's an edible seed on there. In the roots of that tree, is a, a, a grub, the witchetty grub, mm. that they love eating. So you'll know that you'll find witchetty grub in that tree. And then also if that one tree is also used for when babies are born, That's for like smoking, a... smoking, oh, right. the little infants, you know, to clear the bad spirits away. And so I said, that's one tree. Mm. And I said, and behind you up on the ridge, there's some beautiful um, mulga trees there, like good, good firewood, good for tools, mm -hmm. making digging sticks and stuff. But that seed is also edible, and there's also a little apple that grows on that. So just right there, and I said, and as you walk along, you won't see them, but there's little water soakages. And as you walk through the dry riverbeds, you don't know it, but there's water running underneath there, you know? Mm. 
So Aboriginal people had technologies, they had their own ways, we had our own laws, we had our own doctors, we had our own governance. Mm. We had everything down pat. So that's what I say to them, just, just when you're walking along, you know, just think about that. Think about a whole society that was surviving and thriving in this desert land. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and not, not hunting and gathering as, no. as the historical doctrines of colonial Australia no. suggest. Like there were permanent communities permanent of thousands com- of people. people yeah. And, um, and, you know, our, our tribal groups were a lot smaller in the desert because we, they knew that they could only sustain small groups. Mm. And, you know, we used to store seeds. We'd store under, you know, in a dry place behind rocks or in caves. We'd store seeds or store fruits and dry them out. We'd process them, you know, and grind them up to make bread. We'd, you know, women were so proficient, you know, they'd spend the whole day gathering up seeds, collecting water. Um, Men would be hunting if they could, and if they didn't find a malu or didn't come back with any kangaroo, you know, they'd be, the women would always have some seeds or they'd they'd know they'd have something, they'd be collecting little lizards or grubs and stuff like that. So Mm. they'd be sustaining their little group. And then they'd meet up with other people along the way and, you know, at certain times of the year people would gather together in larger groups, mm. um, you know, for ceremony time, you know. So this was a very important space here in Alice Springs, just here in the river, you know, the big, like a really special ceremony place here in Alice Springs. And people wouldn't come through that gap without, first of all, getting permission. Right. I can just imagine I was sitting on a hill not last yeah. night looking at it and thinking that is like a gate in a wall. It is a gate. It's yeah. a, it was a gateway and you wouldn't just walk through there. You'd be sitting maybe for a couple of days and light a fire on the other side and let people know here that you were here yeah. and then somebody would come over and say, you know, who are you, what, you know. So that, that's the way things were done. You wouldn't walk into people's areas without, first of all, letting them know that you're there and, and then you'd be, okay, coming in, maybe you, it might have been, some young person might be wanting to get off and get married or, you know, whatever. It would be and coming into other people's spaces. So in this town area here, there's three groups of different clan groups that were in this area. So Alice Springs was an important site, mm. you know. Really oh, you can, I, can, I mean, I can feel it. This is my first visit here and I'm yeah. embarrassed about how yeah. long it took me to come out here. But yeah. You can sense it in the atmosphere of this place. That it's a pretty no beautiful place. That. It's a really lovely space. And if you were walking yeah. along, you came along to this, you'd be there. Especially Whoa. after days of sort of flat scrub, and yeah. then suddenly you're nestled in this like little oasis. oasis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You can feel it in the air, and then it makes it kind of like, aside from how insulting it must be to the, to the original occupants of this place, it makes it just ridiculous to read on Anzac Hill. Mm. This is a site of spiritual significance for both the Indigenous and the non-Indigenous communities. Well, is it really? Because we've had a hundred years here of yeah. sort of making yeah. buildings and that's about it. And yeah. there's been tens of thousands of years of this, as I'm sure, yeah. being used as a much more sig- significantly yeah. spiritual yeah. place. Yeah, and it's like, you know, the Yipurinu is a special story for this place, that big, the caterpillar dreaming. And it's a big story for here. Um, and the little caterpillars just across the road there, there's sort of on that other side, there's a sacred side across the road there. Mm, really? It's a small, a smaller caterpillar, but they, the old people were saying, don't build the road and don't cut the caterpillar, but they did, they cut straight through it. So half of the caterpillar's still in the river right. and the other one's um, on the other side near the golf course. So it's, it, and even right across the road, there's another 
special. That hill just over there is another sacred site. Mm. You'll see little signs and that up, but um, it really... Just imagine if you were visiting here and you were able to really listen to the stories mm. of all these rocks and all these special places around here from an Indigenous perspective, you know, because we've kind of built over it and around it and, um, and the Indigenous people of this area are really trying hard to build a cultural centre um, and um, so that we can, people can come and it, it to be run and owned by Aboriginal people, mm. you know, so they can hear the real story of this land, to be able to be immersed in this, the big story and, um, and to give Indigenous people the opportunity to um, interact with um, visiting people. And Like at the moment, there's a lot of little tours and that you can go on, but it's hardly ever led by Indigenous people. Is that right? Yeah, so, and, and our people here are really, they're very shy, you know, like we, um, very quiet, um, and so it's it's going to take a little while, I think, for our mob to get um, um, strong in, uh, you know, running their own little businesses. You know, I'm like my father's non-indigenous, but my mother was Aboriginal, so I um, I had a bit of an opportunity with my upbringing to, you know, I didn't get my language because that was something that we weren't we were discouraged from when I was a young girl mm. from learning, but um, I still had opportunity to go out with my nana and learn about bush foods um, and my mother got my mother was um, at the bungalow here like at the where they put all the part aboriginal people all the kids in that they put them out there right so and you know we and it was you kind of a lot of people got institutionalized because they got, got put into you know like um the, the camps there or they and they got taken off their lands and brought into alice springs so mm. it was a lot of dispossession and going on and it was, you were discouraged, you know, a lot of the times. Um, so people that were in the bush were lucky because, you know, they got to keep their language strong. And even though they were living in missions, the first language was their language, you mm, know. Mm. So you, in town here now, you'll have a lot of people that live in town, but they're from different um, language-speaking groups, like some from Yankanjara way, like Uluru way, Walpuri people live here, um, Madjata people live here. There's all different language groups, and so they it's a bit of a mix now, you know. Right, but and still, can everyone understand one another or well, not Well, if really? you're close to, just say you were close to one group, you'd, you'd understand that group, you know. Like if you were close, like um, Yankanjara mob under, can understand uh, Aranda as well as they can get, um, speak the, uh, like Western Aranda way because that's close to, mm. people are kind of, if you see the language map, you'll see how people Does appear. Does it overlap? Kind yeah, of overlap, yeah. and you can understand a little bit, you know, it's similar. Some languages right. are similar, so... But there's a whole... Yeah, there's a, a whole society, and people still practice, um, you know, ceremony every year, and people go bush, and um, language is still strong. And now there's ways that people are, you know, developing little apps and stuff to, to learn the local language, and they're oh, starting cool. to do that in the schools, teaching the kids, you know, like... Um, how to speak the local Aranda language. Teaching all the kids? Yeah, all the kids oh, learn. Great. And they sing in language, you know, sing heads and shoulders, knees and toes, and just in Aranda language. And so oh, there's a lot of, cute. there's a language group um, centre here, and you can go along and learn Aboriginal languages. So there's lots of things that are happening, but it's just, um, it's, I suppose it's taken a long time to happen, you mm. know. Um, so there's a lot of things out there, but for me, yeah, my passion is bush foods. Yeah, and food my passion seems like an awesome. Um, Engagement, it, yeah. it does, and and I work in schools as well. I go and speak to young kids, and 
we do some cooking lessons and stuff like that. And I've just been in Adelaide because um, I had my little granddaughter. And I went into the local school there in Adelaide because I wanted my little, them to know about my little granddaughter, where she comes from and her family and what her nana does, you know. So I took mm. some seeds in there and I put them into little jars and I said, this is um, from where Harper comes from, Alice Springs, you know, and it's got all the little seeds there. So they can see, because I think it's really important to start talking about Indigenous culture to kids that are really young, mm. to start understanding. And as they go through their career, you know, every year build up a little bit more and a little bit more so there's more awareness and a bit more respect and a bit more understanding Definitely. of how how it's Im impacted on Aboriginal people. And a lot of people are in are still in trauma, and mm -hmm. um, it's 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 hard sometimes to be living in in two worlds, you know, mm -hmm. trying to keep your culture strong but trying to fit in and have a job and try to there's so much. Um, people are just trying to find their way, you know? Mm, it's 35 degrees and you're giving me goosebumps saying that sort of thing, but I can completely yeah. appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, it's really, it's really a difficult pathway, and, um, but we will, and I think we'll get there uh, as long as there's an appreciation and a respect and mm. acknowledgement of Indigenous people being here on this land. Mm. The first people, you know, the first people that were here. We have thousands of years of history and art and culture and knowledge and laws and that that um, that could potentially help all of us in Australia, all of us together to be oh, together. Yeah. We're a, we we're a multicultural country, and um, but we are, we're a minority now, you know, in this land. Um, but I just feel like you know we we have to be recognised in our parliament. We, we have to have um, our own um, leadership and a, vo and a big strong voice at, at the top. Um, and as our young people are getting it more, you know, we're getting more and more educated, we'll become, there's a lot of young, a couple of young girls that have just become doctors and they went away to study and they've come back and they're, and they're working in our local hospitals. Awesome. You know, we need indigenous lawyers, we need, um, so that we can have our own, um, group of young people that are going to lead the way for the future, you know, so that we can stand strong and um, and have a really strong voice, mm. you know. Mm, definitely. Yeah, there's so much we can give, you know, and we have, we are the ones, but we're the ones that have to make the change and have, keeps yelling loudly to get our voices heard. Yeah, I think like you, And yeah, instead of people coming also... to us, it's like we have to go to them and keep saying, come on, listen to us, you know, Yeah. listen to our voice. But that's kind of heartbreaking to you. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But it's kind of heartbreaking to hear that um, the, the community's attitude is just we need to pipe up and be louder. And mm. it's like there's there, there's the white fella mob mm. that could actually start listening. That would probably be mm. helpful to have having that conversation. Yeah. It's just an open ear. Yeah. As much as increasing the volume from one side. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've got a, I believe now that, you know, like after 20 years of working, um, with my little business that I had in town here, you know, even getting people to come along and come into my little cafe and try some bush food, you mm. know, like everybody thought, you know, oh, go there, they must have witchetty grubs and all kinds of weird, wonderful things. And I said, no, I said, what I'm trying to do is introduce you to bush foods in a way that we have a whole range of our own spices in Australia. You know, we, we, have, um, we have introduced all these other spices from around the world but Aboriginal people, we've got our own spices, you know? We've got a mm. whole rack of things that you guys would absolutely love if you gave wow. it a chance. Why? What are your favourite ones? Can you tell well, me a few Yeah, of them? like I, I love wattle seed. I think wattle seed is an amazing, versatile product 
that it's a sustainable product. Um, it can be used as a savoury um, thing. It can be used in desserts. It can be used in all kinds of things. And um, and to me, it's um, you can have make a, a drink out of it. <laughs> you can um, extract it like a coffee thing. You what know, is it, what does it taste like? It's kind of like um, it has got a little bit of a slight coffee and chocolate flavour. I'm sold. I mean, there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you can add it into drinks. You can put it on your muesli. You can make bliss balls out of it. You can. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 great. You can make you know if if people are keen bakers, it's great to add into sourdough. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's and it's really healthy. It's it's um, a high protein, um, gluten free. Um, it's got great. Um, it's it's a lot, acts like a legume in your body, so it helps to regenerate great cell growth. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's a very nutritious product, and awesome. um, so that's one of my favourites. One of the things that doesn't grow here that I love is lemon myrtle. It grows all around on the coastal area where you get a lot more rainfall. Mm -hmm. And there's all types of myrtles that you can have, like cinnamon myrtle, anise myrtle. Um, it's a lovely herb that you can use in cooking. Um, it's got so many bush berries, and I love, a, I love the bush, passion, bush um, tomato or the acajita that grows in the desert here. It's kind of like a little tiny berry that's got high antioxidants and high vitamins in it. Um, like, it's just like a tart little sweet thing. Yeah, it's a, like a little, um, it's like a little berry. And when you harvest it, it's a bright yellow colour. It's a bit juicy. But it's like when you dry out a tomato, it gets intense flavour. Yeah. And it's, it's so great. If the explorers would have eaten that, um, a lot yeah. of them would have survived out there in the desert. Um, but they probably thought that somebody was trying to give them a poison berry. <laughs> um, and they're, they're wonderful. They're a beautiful little arid berry that grows yeah. in the bush. Oh, that's one of my... I'm, I'm a bit biased because I love the desert mm. desert ones. Um, we've got, like, bush bananas. We've got bush passion fruits that grow here. Um, yeah, there's so many. And what if, about... Um, oh, sorry, I didn't mm, mean to No, that's you. okay. Go. I've just heard about one that I'm really curious about, the bunya. Bunyan, uh, bunya nuts. nuts, yeah. Are they really good? Uh, in my head, I've just built them up to be like, because they only, uh, you only harvest every two or three years or something yeah. in specific small parts and there's yeah, they big take, pods. And they take years and years and years to form those cones to grow and the bunya nuts are about that big and they make, um, I know that some of the people on the in the rainforest over in the hinterland over there, they get them and they turn them into pestos or pastes and that. But yeah, they, they, the bunya nuts, they'd be pretty dangerous too when they fell off the tree. They're, I bet, they're, yeah. They're, they're massive. You've seen photos of them, yeah, they look they like are huge like massive. pods almost. Yeah, they are amazing. And, um, but there's you know, all that coastal stuff like sand fires and the pig face and all that, that, you know, edibles. There's um, edible, edible vines that we have here. Um, there's um, lots of native, like native spinaches, and there's so many things. And you know, if you could roll out a banquet table, it'd go for miles. The amount of different varieties of food. Mm. We ate a large variety of different foods. You know, mm. we we ate insects, and um, so our palate was very. It was a wide, a wide array of things. And so that's why I think Aboriginal people were able to survive because we did eat so many different things. Mm, mm. You know, we, now you go into a fruit and veg shop and you got capsicums, tomatoes, you know, you, I mean, there are new things coming in, but they're mostly introduced from overseas and stuff like and that. covered in, like, herbicide residue yeah, and that sort and of and waxes thing. and goodness knows yeah, what yeah, else, yeah. you know, coated in all these bad things. So, but, yeah, I think eventually we'll, we will start to look and see, um, and, and I hope that if, they, if people are going to look at um, 
putting bush foods into the food chain that we work with the season of it. Like we know that in certain times of the year you can get a bush tomato, but then if you don't get it because it's not growing, it's not the right time for it to grow, work with our our plants a bit better, mm. not just expect that our plants are going to keep giving and giving because it's not the right time of the year. We expect so much. Yeah. Um, we put pressure on our environment like that too, you know. We should just be eating what's available right now in season. Totally. Try to Especially if there's this like plethora of choice and you know if you don't if you can't find one yeah people are disgusted oh my god i couldn't get a tomato that's just the avocados were rock i know i know and i'm thinking (laughs) well okay that's all right you just don't eat it you look there nothing else there or something i know i know that's we've come to expect that yeah and that's why year round as well yeah and that's why we've got to re-educate and talk to our kids about things that grow in the seasons and stuff that plants grow in and what's the right time of the year you know get the little kids in the kindies to start thinking about that. Yeah. Um, plant more bush foods in people's, in kids, in the school gardens. Is that a thing you could do? Like, I know that you've said that certain bush foods won't tolerate uh, environments that aren't, na- like, aren't mm. similar to their native environment, but sure, there's, I'm sure there's food all over the country. So could pe- is that something people could do? Could yeah. they look up what food yeah. should exist in their ecosystems and start planting it at home? Yeah. That's what I think. They should start growing it in their yards so that they don't have to drip irrigate everything. Yeah. And their gardens look, wouldn't look like they're all dying because there's no water. Because we don't, need, we don't need it, you know. We can have these plants that will survive and thrive and look healthy all the time if we plant our native species into our gardens. Mm. Attract the native birds back. The bees, the, the insects. Native bees. Like, yeah. We've got a lot of native bees. Um, and that's another thing that's a, like an absolute beautiful thing, our native honey. You know, um, Indigenous people, you know, when you're harvesting the honey, um, they, the little bees will go and put their nests into an old ant nest or into an old rotting um, uh, piece of wood that's rotted on a tree. And the ladies, they're so, they've got such a keen eye and they keep their eye out and they'll follow that little bee. They'll know exactly where to go and they'll get that honey out. But, you know, it's not like we'll go and take, knock, all, and knock, of take all of it or knock mm. it all down or... It's, Cut the branch off. Yeah, day, it's know? it's like a treat. Mm. You know, you don't you don't you know you know when even um, sometimes people don't go and hunt kangaroo because after the rain when the kangaroos are eating when the green grasses are all green that they know that when um, a lot of worms get into the into the kangaroo gut so they don't like eating the kangaroo at that time mm. so they don't eat it then. The, the intricacy of this knowledge is just astonishing, and it seems like it's everything that Western um, horticulture, agriculture is trying to achieve. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it already exists. It it's is. Indigenous knowledge. Yeah, like it, yeah. That it level is. of um, yeah, intricacy and, and interconnectedness of everything to know those things and when's good, when's not, why, yeah. what yeah. else is happening. Yeah, There's, it's, a, it's not just about us on this earth. It's about our environment too. It's about that. It's more about, we're just thinking about ourselves, looking about ourselves all the time. We have to think. What an impact, you know, we, all around us, we impact it, you know, we, and we as humans on this earth have a role to make sure this earth survives through this whole thing. How are we going to make sure that that's going to happen? If we don't start taking some responsibility and looking what we can, what our impact is. And, um. So true. It is so true. And And people think, oh, what can I do? There's so much you can do. It's so much beyond just like I love that bloke on the ABC. What's his name? He just did um, a show on the ABC looking at our environment. 
and showing how how many trees are falling every few minutes on Australia, mm. how much land we're wiping out. Oh, the deforestation rate, I think it's in Queensland, it's, it's like the highest in the world or something. Yeah, it's, more it's than worse, it is. Yeah. That, and, that, and, and that's not common knowledge. And when people learn, that, oh, that, that couldn't be happening in Australia. Yeah, and I, it, I, it really hit home for me hearing that because I kind of like, it was one of those horrifying statistics that was so horrifying that it's almost easy to disconnect from. Yeah, you don't even want to know about it. You right. don't even want to, oh, no, that can't be happening yeah, here. Yeah, and then I learned how they do it. And, I, and ever since learning that, I can't, I can't disconnect with the reality of it because I found out that they'll take two humongous tractors, like maybe 10-ton mm. tractors or whatever, put them a kilometre apart, string a chain, a metal chain that's like a metre and a half high between mm. them, mm. and then just roll on forward. And that chain just destroys everything, everything. in its path. And even the animals and the birds and everything. the nests and yeah. everything. And then here we are, you know, with all these little funds and that, you know, save, save the koala, do this, save our environment. At the same time that's happening, we're just, we're just wiping out those forests. And as much as we might have lost in the fires is what's happening right now without even a fire. So true. That's such a good point, yeah. Without the fires. You know, we, we just have to realise that this is happening. And I don't, I just, and like you say, people in the cities just don't, that they can't see it. It's out of sight, out of mind. Totally. And, um, yeah, so we, we really do have to re rethink what we're doing in our, in our land in order to have have a future here in Australia, you yeah, know, totally. really believe that. You know? It's like committing to food, especially food production in our own gardens, is a really great entry point to regaining some level of empowerment for yeah. people who feel, like, I'm yeah. sure you're the same, like I yeah. feel completely let down by the politics yeah, that are I letting do. this kind of thing take place. It's taken them so long just to say it, just to say, we've got a problem. Right, exactly. While, while all, the, all the while they're sort of selling us out to the miners and developers who are doing all of the land clearing and, and yeah. habitat destruction. Yeah. So I've lost faith in my vote as a, as a sense or as an object of empowerment. And I think that's where people will then get caught up thinking, well, look, the system's too big. I'm just one person. What can I do? And it's like, well, have you got a garden? Have you got mm. a bike? Mm. Do you, are you waking up every day and still breathing? Like, you're still yeah. alive. You can still yeah. do stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's, it has to turn around the power to the people. Yeah. And individual acts. And just the things that you can do in, in your world and your, your own yeah, circle. That's exactly right. And, you know, even the little things like that, I mean, we're all, we, it's, it's like I said, it seems like we're just being taken down this track for like a mob of sheep following, you know, going down because we think that's what we've got to do, but we just got to stop Straight and say, no. Nah. Yeah. yeah, stop, think, look around. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's, for, I, I've got nine grandchildren, so, you know, I feel a bit, I feel kind of a bit guilty, you know, even to the point, even though I'm doing what I do, I still feel like, mm. how did we get to this point? Mm, what are they going to think of us yeah. when those kids are, you know, 30, 40, 50? Yeah, and I, I take my hat off to that young girl, you know, Greta, like what she did, she started to talk. Yeah. She sat in protest and on her own. And just didn't shut up, like that was the I best know. thing I know, and even though they put her down, and yeah. all these people, and Donald Trump and all that, they were going telling her to, she's yeah, a silly Andrew little, Bolt, yeah, silly little girl, and I thought, no mate, you're a silly old man. Definitely, uh, definitely <laughs> sorry agree. Say, but, oh, it, I'm not sorry to say that at no, all, that's 100% uh, silly spot old on. man, but you know, like, it, it, she had a, made a world movement. Yeah, yeah. And the voice of the youth. Now, we want to have a, healthy environment, we want to have a healthy earth to be inherit, to inherit. 
I'm the same. I have that feeling of guilt, and I'm only 28, and I don't have kids or anything. Yeah. My my me and my brother's about to have a kid. Yeah. And I'm sure like. I will be uh, an, an adult in a lot of future yeah. children's yeah. eyes, yeah. and I'm I'm already um, embarrassed in the future to need to have these conversations with these kids about what we were doing in 2020 and why we were why we were investing in gas when we could have been investing in renewables to yeah. get us out of the pandemic or whatever the conversation is. Yeah. And I just don't understand where the disconnection is in politicians, most of whom are like old right-wing men who yeah. have kids and it's yeah. like you're, they, you have kids man. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you don't understand yeah. that their future is in jeopardy like yeah, how are you going to have these conversations yeah, that's right yeah you are making the most massive decisions for the whole of all of us you know and you're only a small group of people sitting in a big white house and you're ticking off and just and you're just disconnecting from your your people your constituents and taking care of your constituents looking after them looking after their well-being, mm. making sure that everybody has an equal chance in life, you know, making sure that we have a, have a, um, a healthy space. Mm. That's what it's about, you know. Too, I guess there's just too much profit in, in the system being based off inequity and the mm. fact that there isn't an equal opportunity. Yeah. And, yeah. So and so that's even, like, even with the bush foods thing, I say, you know, by valuing Indigenous involvement in this industry, it's not just always the money value of the economic development stuff happening on country. It is activity on land, it's enrichment of culture, it's transferring of important knowledges down to the next generation. Mm. It's sustainable harvesting. It's, it, sometimes you can't put a value on, 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 on everything. It, not, not everything is about money. Mm. It also is about our well-being and who we are mm. on this earth. Definitely. See, so, so you know, and and getting um, so those ladies, you know, they get their little, they get their money for their harvesting, but at the same time, they're putting so much value back into our environment. Energetically. They, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So they're giving back so much more, um, and so that's why I, I'm so. Um, passionate about supporting them and for them to continue doing the way that they farm the land mm. in a sustainable way. And even when I mentioned getting a machine to were clean they the just seed, like, oh, what are you talking no, about, really? No, no. If you talk about that machine again, we're not talking to you anymore. Wow. Because they're so strong about, they said, if the machine wow. cleans the seed, who's going to sing the song about the seed cleaning part of it? You know, like us cleaning in the winnowing and cleaning the seed in the coolerman that's a song that's a whole part of that that, that whole, energetic yeah, contribution that, yeah that whole thing that whole story and then then she starts dancing and singing to me like that you know she's saying like that and showing me you know in a, in a way and just that's a part of the dancing that goes on when ceremony happens you know it's it's redoing the the grinding of the seeds right. and the digging of the sticks you know the ladies when they're dancing yeah, and stuff like that right. so it's really all and I said Okay, Janie, we're not going to do that. Mm. Good one, she mm. reckoned. Mm. Good one. I said, we the seed cleaners. You're taking it away from us. That's our job. Right. So I said, okay. But, you know, I want to know, like, um, so I can um, go back out on country and talk to the ladies again about, about where things are now. I had some workshops out there in the past, um, finding about 
how we can strengthen what they do, um, you know, whether or not I can help to um, build a space for them to, you know, work in a cool, shady area so they're not out in the hot sun, mm. space where they can store their seeds, get some buckets or some chaff bags that they can put the seeds into. Um, yeah, things like that, not, um, not big ticket items or anything, but just to help them just to basics. continue. Yeah, just what they need, you know, like getting a tarp or so they can sit on a tarp or collect, put the tarp under the tree and because they just, all they do is just shake the tree mm. and all the seeds just fall like mm. that, you know, and then they sit and clean it. and um, So they're the little things that they need. Um, and also to help with um, working with the local schools to see if um, the elders can work in the school with the young people, making sure that there's, you know, um, lots of field trips and mm. kids are listening to the, um, the old ladies about the stories and identifying and taking out the technology, you know, like the mm. iPads and getting photos and listening to the ladies and digging up bush potato and all different kinds of things and the activities that old people did in the past, you mm. know, to, to survive on the land and learning all them language names for the plants and, yeah, so there's some of the things that, you know, um, that I talked to the government about trying to um, to get some funding to do that type of work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but I've got a job at the moment. I'm working um, with our young Indigenous people at the moment uh, doing a program to help to get them into um, working in the community services area, mm -hmm. helping to take care of, you know, working with youth, working with the old, elderly, working in that area. Um, because not a lot of Aboriginal people are working in those spaces, but in our town we have a lot of people that need the care. Mm. So to get our young Indigenous people involved in that and get them on the right pathway to get into that work. Um, that's awesome. But before that I had my business for 20 years. That was Congress Hancock? Yeah, that's my business. And I've still got my online business, and so I'm still doing that work um, apart, aside of this to work with the women and um, just Is waiting to see if I can get the funding to do some more work out on country. But but speaking of funding, I mean, are you retailing food? Is that any? Is that a direct way that someone like me, when I get back to Sydney, yeah, you could order I something could order on some my website, and then... yeah, order some wattle seed. I send stuff to Sydney, and yeah, okay, and so awesome. it's 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 sort of a short value chain. Like it's, you know, I um, work with the ladies and get the seed, and then I, I in our little model space here, we grind up and roast the seed and pack it up, and then, but it's it's a short value chain. So I then love it's that got, though. Yeah, it, it's not so many. Um, like it doesn't have to go through three or four people before it gets... Who are skimming yeah, sort of off the top of Yeah, that. and then they're charging a high price for something at the other end. You know, yeah. I feel like... It, because what it, if I can survive and thrive in, in my little business, and that means that then I can still... I can help the ladies more, you know? Yeah, that's Because it, even though my, my business... I'm a, I'm a sole trader, but I still feel like I've got a, um, a big responsibility to... Um, to make sure those ladies' voices are heard and, and their work that they're doing is being seen, mm. that they're respected in, in the industry. Mm. So part of what I do is a lot of um, social. And so eventually I'd like to try to set up a little um, a social um, enterprise arm of my business so that um, so that if there's little things that need we need some funding for, I can put the project up on, on a little website and say, oh, you know, anyone out there want to help to get this off the ground or, mm. you know... Um, or somebody might need, um, you know, all kinds of different help out in, on, on remote communities, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's little things like that, not not massive projects, but a lot of the time it's only a small amount of money you might need just to get 
something happening on country. That's perfect, though, to, to be able to... micro-businesses, small type yeah, things, yeah, totally. how people used to work before. We had small gardens and so small... So direct, especially with someone like you with so much integrity where it's such a confident consumer decision that mm. the money you are spending yeah. is a vote of its own. And if yeah. you feel like you're fed up with the politics and you start voting with money, and yeah. this is the easiest way to do it, yeah. is to give someone like you that will money impact. for a great product, but yeah. you know that it's also adding value at that end of that yeah. value chain. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did one time actually take the ladies um, to, got some funding to take them to one of the factories where their product ended up because they had no idea about How where... How did they feel about it? I'm sure there were machines there. They were there. They was overwhelmed because oh, they no. had to put their little hat, um, hats on and they had to wear these coats. Oh, and, I can um, just picture it. And I'm there going, oh, it smells in here. And I'm going, that's all your bush tomato cooking up in those gigantic big cookers. Um, and they're making a chutney that gets sold. Good night. Going to, um, it's going into coals. Wow. And they didn't realise. And then they, we took them to the, the local coal shop in Victoria there. Um, and they started buying all these jars of chutney off the shelf. And I'm going, no, 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 no. You can actually buy that chutney in Alice Springs at Coles. Oh, we didn't realise that, you know. And so, it's their fruit in there. Yeah, it's our fruit in wow. there. So, they, you know, we said follow the bush tomato. So we did, we followed it. And then we got some funding to take them to visit um, some other Indigenous people that are wild harvesting as well um, over in Brew. Mm -hmm. um, and awesome. uh, we, we took them into the boardroom of Wards Mackenzie in Melbourne. And when, when they walked in, it was a miserable Melbourne day, raining and cold. And a lot of these ladies, they don't wear pants, you know, they just wear skirts and that, and they were freezing cold. And um, there was this big, gigantic window with a bit of sun coming in and it had this massive big boardroom. And they all walked in, but they all went straight past the table and went and sat on the floor in the sun. In the sun, yeah. And all these guys with their ties on and suits on are going, where are they going? And I said, oh, they just... They're, they're just going, cold, guys. They're cold. <laughs> they want to sit in the sun and it's really cold. And they said, oh, what can we do? And I thought, I'll make them a cup of tea. They'd mm. love that. Mm. And um, so they ended up getting their That's chairs. That's the cutest scene I could ever yeah. imagine. That's they got so their funny. chairs and took their chairs over and sat around the ladies because the ladies were sitting there. And they said, how was the visit today? And they said, oh, it was good to see that. And, but the trip they most enjoyed was actually connecting with other Indigenous people that no, were doing sure. wild harvesting. And we, didn't, we camped out on country. And wow. They loved that. So, yeah, it's really showing them how they're contributing to uh, a really a bigger picture stuff. And they were really proud that they that their product was being done that way, um, mm. being used, and being a chutney was being made. But they said, um, I said, you know, at the end of the day, um, we said, oh, in reflection, what does this all mean to you? You know, and you know what they all drew? They all drew their country, so they didn't even draw the city. They reflected the whole trip back back to country, so wow. they drew their own lands again, like the things growing on country so so they wow. that you know even though that trip it was great but the most important thing to them out of that whole thing was country it's representation of yeah. country wow and their little trip over to over to Broome and in, the, in, in, the, in that area over there so well I've got a good feeling about it Raylene because I do too and if agri futures are people like that that are talking looking at new industries in Australia are wanting to speak to us. Yeah, people like that. And then also um, the super naff 
restaurateurs of the eastern suburbs of Sydney who need to put, you know, native something on yeah. their menu so they can charge an exorbitant yeah. amount of money for it. Yeah. Whatever, it doesn't yeah. matter. It means the appetite's there, and I think it, it, it really is. is. It is. And hopefully that just translates to, to more investment and more celebration and respect yeah. to that end of the value chain. And sharing that story, like really sharing that story, and a lot of these, you know, when restaurateurs are showcasing an ingredient, um, the story can be told about it. So more and more people will be learning every mm. time. So as, the, as it grows, I really believe that, you know, we need to be proud of our own food. Definitely. Our, our, our own Australian food, our own cuisine, our own... And to really start to get our identity, you know, start to understand, have, have an, an Australian identity and, and connect to our land. Yeah. It'll, it'll f make a fulfilling feeling for all of us. And it will protect us into it the future. It will protect us, that's right. Because, I mean, you think about uh, these, like, horrifying climatic outcomes that might befall us and you think about who's going to survive after those happen and it's not going to be the people living in the burbs on the east coast. It's going to be the people who know how to live from the land. Oh, no, and you, you look at the entire world over, whether it's going to be uncontacted tribes in the Amazon or in New Guinea or wherever, or... Central Australia, it's the people mm. who have that knowledge. And mm. so for us to invest in it feels as much about um, respecting that culture and mm. the knowledge as it does about ensuring ourselves and protecting yeah, ourselves know. for the I future know. because even it like feels horribly selfish to say that when yeah. reconciliation still has such a long way to go. It does, it does. But it, that seems to be the reality for me. Yeah. You know, how can we ensure ourselves against Mother Nature? You know, she's a fury. She'll let her leash all her fury onto us and... Um, because we're not taking care of her. Yeah. And, you know, insurance companies now, people can't even insure their properties. Like, it's, it's really, really hard. Mm. You know, um, part of our land keeps falling away, <laughs> you know, like mm. in the cities, you mm. know, like it's like we... Yeah, know? the erosion on some of the beaches on the near coast, my house yeah. are just like, it's bananas that it just keeps on going. It does. And people keep on spending millions of dollars and on they, their houses. And, and, oh, and, they just, and they want to have a house on the edge of the cliff. Yeah, that's going to fall away, and I'm going. Oh my goodness! There was a there was this amazing event a few years ago. I'm a big surfer, and yeah. it was an exciting time for me because yeah. it was about the best week of surf I've ever experienced in Sydney. Um, but there's a stretch of coast yeah. called Collaroy, and yeah. it's on an active dune system. But there's houses that are built right up to the waterfront, and it, they've known about it as a problem for since like the '60s. Yeah. And there's been all this sort of various varying levels of corruption. But at the end of the day, it, like you consumer decision prevails and you've got to think about what you're yeah, doing that's and right. I'll never forget this woman on the on the telly going like I'm going to sue the council huh? I'm going to sue the insurance company <laughs> because her pool's fallen into the beach yeah. because the beach has been eaten away by the swell and yeah. she's just furious and someone needed she was such a victim and someone needed to pay and it's like lady you bought a house on a sand dune that yeah. was like meters away from yeah. the ocean what did like <laughs> what, to say, but what did you think was going to happen I know like, I know I know it seems so Common sense prevails sometimes. You just got to think about it, and um, not just walk in and out of your house, park your car at the back, and don't realise that underneath what's happening there, the sea is happening. It's mm. moving. It's mm. a powerful machine. Yeah. It is big, and it is. It can swallow you up. Yeah. And you know, like we are, you know, in Australia, like my, when everything was happening, people want to come back here because they feel safe. Mm. But if you feel safe here, we've got to think about looking after it. Mm-hmm. If you want it to be a safe place for the future, we want to make sure that, and, and I mean, you know, 100%. it does, it is really the bigger, bigger picture stuff. I mean, oh, we know what we're saying earlier on about 
what we can do in our own backyard. Okay, we can look out and acknowledge what's happening around, but doing small things in your own community, being a part of, you know, growing your own veggies in your own backyard, um, saving food miles, food security, all that sort of stuff, waste, food wastage. Um, and that's something I'm really interested in as well, you know, recycling food, you know, mm. don't waste any food. There's people that are hungry. Mm. People are in poverty. We can't throw things in the bin. We have to keep, look at the food security. Food miles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I'm, all, I'm a constant um, source of confusion to a lot of friends yeah. of mine because I don't eat a lot of meat for environmental reasons. Yeah. But then if there's meat on the table, if we're out somewhere or at someone's yeah. house and the next place is the bin, of course I'm going to eat it and yeah. I'll just start going for it. Yeah. They're like, hold on, I thought you were vegetarian. What, what's going on? You've yeah. got to explain yourself. It's yeah. like, well, doesn't this feel stupid to have yeah. a really huge footprint food that's yeah. been produced just to go into the bin? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I know more and more the food and more, things crazy. more and more people are becoming vegan and vegetarian. I, I, it's just even Indigenous people. Really? I, I, could, I can't believe it's just, it's a movement. Wow. Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I I'll let you go, Raylan. Yeah, I'm sure no you've worries. got a, an afternoon to yeah, get to. Yeah. I'll, um, but before I turn them off, I just want to say thank you so much for chatting with me and yeah, for me. No worries. Stuff. Yeah, no worries. I'll, I really. Um, I appreciate too the, the opportunity to speak um, to someone like yourself that's doing what you're doing and I take my hat off to you because I met another guy too a few years ago and I gave him all, all of my all of my used dog because I save it all. And oh I, really? And I gave it to him and he had an old compi van and he was travelling around. Cool. I thought, good on you, just take all this. It's great if you can use it again because I, you know, in my kitchen I hardly ever done any deep frying because right. I'm a firm believer in, you know, healthy eating and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. very little oil. Um, but what I did, I used to save in pails and, you know, then he came along and I thought, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, perfect. I, said, I didn't want someone to go and tip this somewhere where I don't know where it's going. Yeah. I'd rather I know. Guy. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather know where it's going. If it's being used for something to get somebody somewhere, then that's great, you yeah. know? Well, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. It <laughs> astonishes me as well. Like, I walked into a place the other day and a guy asked me how much I was going to charge him to get rid of it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 like... No, I know. This is win-win for me. Like, you don't have to get rid of it. I don't have to go and buy diesel. This is good. I'll just yeah. take it for you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. But, yeah, it's great to be able to speak to yourself and to share that story um, of our little space in the middle of the desert here. And it's a good news. It's a good news story, you know. It's a beautiful you know? story, yeah. And I'm very um, I'm positive about our... I am positive about our future, and I'm, I hope that I can be a part of the change in the way people think about Indigenous people, about Indigenous foods, and about our people and our history, mm. you know. Mm. You've definitely done that with me, so, and yeah. I'm sure you will with whoever listens yeah. to it, so thank you again. No, thanks very much for the opportunity to have a chat. Pleasure. Thanks, Riley. Right, awesome. No worries. I'll switch this off and let you go. And thank you for this wonderful gift. Oh, no worries. I hope it <laughs> I are. love it. Has that just left you buzzing, guys? I hope it did. I'm still buzzing from it. How about some of the things that Raylene said? What about when she was saying like, oh, when I'm out doing the tourist walks and we've just done day one of seven and I say, look around, you're going to be walking, walk quietly, think about it all. Did that not just put shivers down your spine? I'm still tingly just thinking about it when she said that because just imagine walking out into the bush and knowing that knowing everything that you're looking at imagine walking out into the bush and knowing that you are standing in the middle of your supermarket your pharmacy and your hardware store all at once and just having all your needs catered for without your wallet without your phone without anything 
Isn't it just the most amazing thing to consider? Imagine having that knowledge. And if it isn't for you, if you're not that enamored with that idea, and if that's not like a crazy appealing thing to think about, I'll put it to you this way. So just think about all of those crazy end of the line horrifying scenarios that the scientists are telling us will happen on earth if we don't do something about climate change or even not that maybe maybe if just maybe or maybe you maybe i've just watched one too many zombie movies but imagine finding yourself in some apocalyptic very dystopian situation where society's collapsed and you've found yourself out in the bush and you've escaped somehow the chaos, but you know, you don't have much with you, slash, you've got nothing with you. What could be more valuable in that situation than looking around the bush and, and feeling calm, feeling catered for? I mean, yes, a leather man is very handy and Bear Grylls can teach you. How, what sort of poo you can eat. But I mean, that stuff's going to wear thin pretty quickly, guys. What happens when the Leatherman blade is dull? You know, what happens when you've whittled one too many pieces of wood and you've got nothing to sharpen it with? What happens when you eat the wrong poo? Look, this is, I'm getting sidetracked. What I'm saying is this knowledge is just the most powerful opportunity that Australia has to secure ourselves with an increasingly questionable looking climatic future. If you've been listening to my podcasts for very long, this is something I've said before. I I appreciate that Kevin Rudd said sorry, but that's the very least we could do, and he's the only one that's done it. But in my opinion, it shouldn't just be sorry. It should be sorry, and can you please teach us everything? I'm assuming if you've made it this far in the podcast, you probably feel the same way, and Raylene has had a similar effect on your countenance, and you're about to go off and do some research. And I'd recommend, like I did to begin with, the first piece of research you do is pick up Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu. Read it. It's amazing. It'll blow your mind. Next thing you can do is jump into the description of this episode and go to kungascancook.com.au and buy some native foods. Not only will your body sing for putting one less packaged piece of sugary garbage in there, but it's the simplest way to vote and it's the simplest way to put your money where your mouth is and know that that money is going towards something so genuine. So thanks again, Raylene, for giving me so much of your time and wisdom. Thanks to you for listening and I'll see you at the next one, guys. Peace. Peace.